0: So, If you remember, uh, months and months back, we were doing kids' um, messages here in the congregation on Sundays, the last Sunday of the month, so we're um, starting that back up again. So, Today is our first um, Sunday I'm back on track to um, giving the kids' sermon um, here with the kiddos in front of you, so basically, we're doing in here what we would do in the classroom, um, maybe toned a down a little bit. Um, but I would love to um, invite our kiddos on up front. Kind of like a story time um, thing that we're doing. So come on up and have a seat. Right up here. I love those old hymns just this weekend. we were I was um, listening to the old tapes that my dad had given to me, cassette tapes. Uh, he bought me a cassette tape player, because I don't have one, they're all at home, and I got to listen to, like, the Kingsman, I don't know if you know the Kingsmen, that old gospel, and Elvis, when he was doing gospel music, and a lot of that just hit back home to, to you know, my faith growing up as a kid, because a lot of them were in Navajo, and that's where I learned a lot of um the hymns, just through my grandma. So, um kiddos, go ahead and have a seat. So, I'm going to sit right here, hon, okay? So you guys come and face me. Yep, green cows. See right there. So we're gonna go ahead and get started with our lesson. And what we do before our lesson is we always pray, right? So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for all these children. Uh, help us to have hearts that are soft to your word and to listen to the lesson today and let us learn something cool about you, Father, that we can take with us as we um, live out our little lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm going to try to do this while holding the mic and all my papers. So last week, do you remember what we talked about? The burning bush, right? I think just a couple of you were here when we talked about the burning bush, right? So do we remember who was talking through the burning bush? God, God that's right, yes. And who was he talking to? Moses. Moses, yes, two for two. So what was the message? Do you remember? To go to Egypt, right? So Moses, God asked Moses to have the Pharaoh let his people go, right? The Israelites. So today we're going to talk about that and what happened when Moses went to see the Pharaoh. All right, this is called the plagues of Egypt. So Moses Moses obeyed God and went to Pharaoh with the message God gave him. Let the Israelites go. But Pharaoh said no. Moses went to the water of the river, and he touched it, and instantly it turned to blood. No one could drink the water from the river. The Egyptians were very, very thirsty. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. I will not let your people go, he said. So seven days passed. God told Moses to go back to Pharaoh. Moses said to him, God says, let my people go, or your country will be covered with frogs. How would you like it if you were eating dinner and a frog just jumped right in your food? That wouldn't be nice, huh? That would be kind of gross. So, Pharaoh, what do you think he said? No. No. He said no. So the whole land was covered in frogs. Pharaoh called Moses, I will let your people go if you get rid of the frogs. Moses did, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. I changed my mind, I will not let your people go. So God made all the dust of Egypt into gnats. Do you know what gnats are? You know, those little bitty that fly around and
1: Catchers like like when the
2: fish.
0: Yeah, I don't like that. So all day and night they buzzed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. He would not listen, even still. Then God sent flies, but only to the Egyptians. The Israelites had no flies. Pharaoh and his people were very unhappy. "I I will let you make your sacrifices, but you must not go far, he said. So Moses prayed, and the flies left. Do you think Pharaoh's heart was hardened again? Yep. Yes, he refused to let the Israelites go. So God warned Pharaoh that God would strike down the livestock next. Do we know what livestock is? No. What is this right here? What's this picture? Can you see it? No. Cows, right? Cows and goats. Those are livestock. So, so when um, Moses warned, warned Mo, uh, Moses warned Pharaoh that God would strike down his livestock next, Livestock gives us meat and milk and cheese, but Pharaoh refused to obey God's command. And his livestock all the livestock died, but the animals of the Israels were fine. Israelites were fine. Then God sent boils. Do you know what boils are? Boils are very bad spots all over your body, and they kinda look like this picture here. Sword in pink. You see that? Yeah. So God sent those. Um, They're very bad spots, and they're all over your body. So the Egyptians were in pain, and they were very unhappy. But Pharaoh said, yet again, I will not let your people go. Next was the hail. Do you know what hail is? Hail is like ice falling down from the sky. Exactly right. Ice falling down from the sky. Yes, sir? Oh, giant pieces. of This one says hail. So let's read what the hail version says today, okay? So next is hail. Hail is ice that falls like rain, but this hail was worse than other hails. If it struck animals or people, they would die. It destroyed plants and trees. So Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron, I have sinned. Please pray and make the hail go away, and I'll let you go. So Moses did, but Pharaoh hardened his heart yet again. Yes, again, I will not let you go. So Moses told Pharaoh that God would send locusts. You know what locusts are? The ones that make noise, huh? They creak. Yep, they buzz, and they jump. So locusts, they eat everything green. Pharaoh's helpers said to him, Let his people go. All of Egypt is destroyed. I will only let some of you Israelites go, he said. Moses said all, they all had to go, but Pharaoh refused. Moses stretched out his staff and the locusts came. Everything green in um, Egypt was eaten up. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Oh no. Then God made a great darkness fall over Egypt. Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and you can't see anything? There's no lights on? It's really hard to do things when it's dark, huh? I have the most lights in my room. Okay. We have night lights, right, to help us. But it would be really hard if we didn't have those night lights, huh? It would be hard to do things in the dark. So no one could see or move for three whole days. Pharaoh called Moses, I will let you go, but your animals will remain here he said we need them to worship our God Pharaoh's heart grew grew harder and harder get out of my sight he said Moses warned Pharaoh that God had one more plague it was the very worst of them all unless Pharaoh obeyed the oldest son of every family would die only those who had put blood on their doors would be saved do you think Pharaoh obeyed? No. <laughs> yes. Sadly, he still refused to listen to God. So God did what he had promised. The Egyptians were very sad because God had punished them for disobeying. Pharaoh called Moses and said, "You are free go, leave us alone." Moses and all the people of Israel left Egypt. God had freed them from slavery. So it's always important to obey God, right? So we know what a slave is, right? We kind of talked about this last time. It's somebody who's owned by another person. So we know that the Israelites were slaves. They were very unhappy. So that's why Moses um, got the message from God to help the Israelites to let them go, to ask the Pharaoh to let them go. So I'm going to give you this little object, okay? I'd like for you to pass it around. You can stay where you're at for right now. So I think we have enough for all the kiddos. I'd like for you to raise your hand and tell me if this object is soft or it's hard All Right? Is your object soft or hard, Kara? It's hard, right? If you bang it on something, it's going to be loud, right? And what about you, Little Miss? Is yours soft or is it hard? It's soft, right? So pass it around Let me see, pass it back up to the front so this, is this hard or is this soft? Hard. It's hard, right, right, right. And then for you, is this hard or soft? Soft. Good job. All right. You already said that's soft. You already said that's hard. And for you, is that soft or hard? It's soft. it's soft. right. Okay. So if you want to come on over here to this water, I want to show you something. So these soft objects, right? If you careful, sorry. This is. Let me move it over just a little bit. So, if you put this soft object inside the water, what does it do? It flows. Yeah, it flows. But what else?
2: It gets wet.
0: It gets wet. That's right. Right. It soaks up all the water. Right. What happens if you put something hard in there? It sinks. It sinks. Right. It goes to the bottom. So if you think about it, the Pharaoh's heart was hard like this, right? It didn't do anything but sink to the bottom. But if we have a heart like this that is soft, it can soak up the things of God, right? So if you squeeze it out and put it in, what does it do again? What does it do all over? It soaks up the water, right? So, do we want to have a heart that's like the Pharaoh that just sinks and does nothing? Or do we want to have a heart that soaks up everything that God teaches us? We want to have his one, yeah. All right. Okay, you can go ahead and just leave them there. And we're going to wrap up our lesson here. So, go ahead and have a seat again. Actually, let's take these out because I'm going to need to use these later. Alright, let's go ahead and have a seat back this way. Oops. So, it's important to obey God, right? So, did Pharaoh obey? Do we know if Pharaoh obeyed? No. Did Moses obey? Yeah. Yep, Moses obeyed. So, it's important to obey. And, as we can remember, Pharaoh, he kind of obeyed. But then he said, No. I don't want to obey. So we don't want to have the heart like the Pharaoh, right? And we want to pray that God gives us a soft heart, right? Okay, so I gave you um, some packets so that you can do some activities during the sermon because you guys will be sitting here with mom and dad. Okay, so you you can do that, but you can also do what I put inside of your baggie. I'm also including a craft. So we're not doing the craft together, but you get to do it, mom and dad, okay? So if you want to bring it next week and show me what you did, I'd love to see it, okay? So let's close our eyes and pray. Close your eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day and all these beautiful children. Help us to have soft hearts that follow you and, and like Moses and not hard hearts. Like the Pharaoh, please help us as we try to think and distinguish between the two and do what you ask us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you go ahead and take one of these bags and go go back to your seat. I think we have the scripture reading next.
1: Yes, we do. Have the scriptures next. We didn't. I'll explain this. We didn't have this Bible until Dean said, "This is the one I want you to read." And we went to a store and got the Bible and brought it home. And I happened to be standing near a clip when I f- found the place we we're going to read. I didn't do it for beauty. I just did it because it was there. And I decided once it was there, I know where I could start my reading. Would you stand with me as we talk about light some more? The section of John here is subtitled, God is Light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is truthful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We're moving to chapter 2, Christ our Advocate. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now by this, we may be sure that we know him. If we obey his commandments, whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly, in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk, just as he walked. And now, this uh, subheading is a little bit misleading, but you'll see that. A new commandment. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says, I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the dark is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. From the first book of John, the word is the Lord. Thank you.
2: Amen. Well, uh, kids, we're grateful that you're with us today. And uh, for parents especially, I know how this works as a parent. Don't feel bad if your kids make a little bit of noise. They're going to do that. They're kids. And uh, those around you, uh, hopefully you can have the same grace towards them. But it's it's good to help make sure that kids are used to being in the service for when they transition to being in the service. It's also good for... Uh, volunteers who often are back there every week to get a chance to be in here with us. So it's one of the many reasons why sometimes we'll have um, like family services such as this. Um, but with that though, with the children's sermon, I'm going to try to keep our message a little a little condensed uh, today so that you don't have too many sermons coming at you. Uh, We're going to continue with uh, this that we just began last week, this look at the Johannine epistles or the the, the letters of uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, This week, we move from... Uh, from introduction, if you remember last week we mainly looked at just an introduction that, that John writes and, and kind of set the stage for what's happening and, and uh, uh, what are the issues, who's the audience, that sort of thing in in these letters. Today we moved uh, directly from introduction to a thesis statement. So if you're a student out there, I'm amazed always, even master's level, graduate level, people don't know how to write a basic five-point uh, essay, you know, you begin with an introduction, The introduction needs to conclude with some sort of a clear thesis. Then you have a few points. You restate your thesis and you wrap it up. That's a that's a give me. You can have that for free. Um, But uh, I don't know how many times I've written that same thing in a paper uh, to somebody that where's your thesis statement. Uh, John gets it and he goes right from introduction to thesis and he says God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Amen. This is the thesis for the letters. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Uh, This section that we're going to look at, it's a bit tricky. uh, And I think especially in light of our tradition that we're in, our denomination, I'm going to explain that a bit as we go on. but it's a very important section. I think it keeps us grounded, and it's a section uh, Wesley wrote often on use, using 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is helpful because sometimes in our tradition we move in a direction, I think, a little away from Wesley on this subject, and he probably is somebody who can help keep us grounded as well. But we'll see that as we go on. Uh, I talked a lot about light and dark. Last week, and remember, I talked, and you'll see there are times when John will muddle these and move from sort of natural imagery to theological imagery on light and dark. When it comes to you know theological imagery, it's very clear: light is good, dark is bad. But here in these letters, he often is using more natural uh, imagery for light and dark, and he's using that to help set the stage. Things like like an argument that he'll say: often we've we've moved from darkness to light like the day breaking. And so why would we want to move back into the darkness? Not that there's anything wrong with the morning or the darkness, but now that we have the light, we're made for the light, that sort of thing. But uh, he uses light and dark imagery quite a bit here in, in this sermon. Uh, I'm sorry, in this, in this letter. And I'm going to refer to it quite a bit uh, in the sermon. For John, light uh, means life. It means truth, uh, visibility. These are practical functions of light as well. It also means goodness and and can kind of be used synonymously with God as well. So light can mean all of these things for John, life, truth, visibility, goodness, and God uh, and god 's own self. Light simply is light is, and there 's no opposition to light. There is no opposite to light technically there's no competition to light. It's not like hot and cold or even uh, up and down or left and right. We often, we think of opposites. We think of light and dark. That's not how light technically works. Let me give you an example of this. Okay, we're going to see if this works. Brace yourself. We're going to turn the lights off. Let's try this out and see how it works. We're going to turn all the lights off. Don't worry, we didn't become one of those churches if, if this bothers you. Okay, the lights are off. Now, obviously, if it was like midnight, this would be even better, or if I took the time to black out all the windows or something this morning, but I thought you might not like that. So, it's dark. Now, let's just see what happens here. Let's just turn on the overhead light, just the one. We have light. Now, when that happened, did you notice like a battle? Did the light come on and the darkness attacked it and they went back and forth and... Was there ever a moment's doubt that the light... Let's, let's turn the rest of the lights on real quick. Let's see if this happens on a bigger, bigger scale. Did, was there any sort of conflict? Is there any zone? We can get all the lights back on. Is there any place where like maybe the light is on, but it's just that we got these side lights too, but the, the darkness is prevailing against it? No. Uh, Have you ever walked into your house, maybe in the evening, you've been out all day and it's dark and you flipped your lights on? Now, we just assume the lights are working, right? Or if maybe you're a, a Luddite or something, you might have candles in your house. Have you ever gone in and lit your candle? And even though it came on, nothing happened and you couldn't see? Have you ever witnessed darkness overcome light? No, it just doesn't happen. It's not possible. Darkness is just an absence of light. So when night comes... It's not actually, it's day is, you know, the sun is moving, right? And it's moving away to the point that we can't see it anymore. But there never, there's not a time when darkness wins. We often misunderstand this. This kind of connects to the, the Gnostic stuff that I mentioned last week, if you were paying attention. A lot of times, we Christians uh, fall into, uh, we fall victim to these these other thoughts. Like, for example, that there's this eternal struggle between good and evil. No, there's not. You read the if we take the Bible, in the beginning there was God. It doesn't say in the beginning there was God and Satan or God and evil or God and whatever. It doesn't say in the beginning there was yin and yang and they have to be balanced out so the force is it you know, anything like that. It just says in the beginning there was God. There's only goodness. If you read through scripture and any kind of like the, the, the struggle or the battle, which yes is there, Revelation's a great one. Except we often don't pay attention to it the book of Revelation there's this big build up there's all this crazy stuff there's going to be this cosmic battle and then when the uh, the Lord of the Rings is a great example you ever seen those movies or read these books you know the the, the troops come out of the field you're going to have this great big battle and then what happens in the book of Revelation everybody gets mad and they storm out and demand their money back for the tickets because the, the sun comes on the scene and speaks a word and the battle's over there's no battle if you read Revelation and pay attention, there is no giant, great, big battle when it comes down to it at the end because darkness can't do anything to light. Okay? So that's really important imagery for these books and really for Scripture as a whole is that uh, truly, the, I mean, the only way darkness wins against the light is if your light bulb goes bad. And if it does, you just put in a new light bulb, you light a new candle. When the sun rises, there may be clouds, there may be less light, but it's, the light is there. Okay? So understanding that, that there is not this giant, like, uh, open-ended is key, battle. Yes, darkness, theologically, spiritually, rages against the light. Sure. But it has no chance of winning in the end because darkness can't overcome light. That's key imagery, for John, and really in, for several places in, in the New Testament as well, okay? So if you want to have fun with that, try it at home, and I guarantee you'll come, come back with the same results if you think about that and try it out, okay? So with that imagery in mind, a couple other maybe more theological uh, terms that we could add to what light is and what it does for John. Uh, light reveals... You know, like if you can't see, you turn on the light so you can see. Uh, Light cleanses. Have you ever seen those new fancy things you can put your phone into and like UV light supposedly takes all the germs off of your phone? Um, Light purifies. And also light judges. These are some extra terms that you might add on. That being in the light, for example, like if you're doing something that you don't want anybody to see, well, if all of a sudden all the lights are turned on, everybody sees it. It, you're being judged, right? You're being revealed. These are other, other things that come with light. So, so uh, John starts off this way. God is light, and in light there is no darkness. Period. Amen. Okay. We saw how light works. Light is total. Oh, let's not go there yet. No, we're not quite... You're not getting out of here just yet. Okay. Yeah, we can just go back to the main main screen. Okay, so real quick, I'm going to move through the next few verses uh, because he just kind of logically states some points, kind of like in an essay. So if you look at verse 6 in 1 John, uh, basically John says here, since light and dark can't coexist, we're deceiving ourselves if we're acting like we can coexist in the light and the dark. That if we say we're in the light but we're walking or, you know, acting in the dark, doing dark things, right? You can understand that. Then we're deceiving ourselves. We're guilty of self-deception, which is, I think, one of the fundamental aspects of sin. is self-deception. We deceive ourselves. If we say that we're in the light, but we're doing things of darkness, then we are untrue or deceitful. In verse 7, he says, But if we're in the light then we're being cleansed by the light. We're being cleansed from all sin, he says, along with others who are in the light. So if we pretend like we're in both, you can't be in the both because that's just not how it works. So if you're trying to be in both, really you're in darkness. But if you are in light and you're walking according to the light, which is just a way of saying if you're acting according to the light, if you're doing you know, good, if you're trying to obey God, then John says we are being cleansed of all sin. Then he kind of repeats himself in verse 8. He says, but if we claim to be without sin, then we're guilty of self-deception, and therefore the light isn't in us. If you've been around our tradition long, then you might understand kind of what I was saying a minute ago. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins... Confession is actually really key. You know, for Wesley, he wanted uh, Christians... Part, confession was a, a routine, daily part of life. Uh, it was something... It's actually built into the um, Eucharistic or, or, or a communion liturgy in many churches, in the Wesleyan church, that the idea that you would confess sin before you come to the table. He says, if we confess our sin, then God, who is faithful, will cleanse us again from all sin, all unrighteousness. In other words, verse 10, If we claim to be without sin, then we lie. And His word is not in us. In holiness language, here, here's what he's saying. If we claim and boast of, per- of perfection, then actually we're anything but. That's a hard one for people in our tradition. John says if we boast of perfection, we're anything but perfect. But if we confess our imperfections, if we confess our struggles, our, our sins if they are there, or our, our failures, then we are made perfect by the one who is perfect, by the one who is perfect light. Now it's rumored. I didn't. I've never met this person, and I would. I'm glad I've never heard it. It was rumored that there was a former, like quite some time ago, professor at the seminary, the Nazarene Seminary, who who refused to say the sermon on the uh, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Because in the Lord's Prayer, which, you know, Jesus told us to pray, we say, forgive me my sins or my debts or my trespasses, depending on how you translate it, as I forgive those who sin or you know, or trespass against me, because he hadn't sinned in 20-something years or whatever, so he wouldn't say that prayer. That doesn't really go with this verse. And I think the New Testament teaching on, on holiness, or Wesley in particular, Christian perfection, in other words, which is a term that's scary, but it's a Wesleyan term. And I'm happy to explain that or talk about it more. But if we use that terminology, Christian perfection entails the embrace and confession of our imperfections, allowing God who is perfect to cleanse us, making us holy, making us good, making us, if we dare say it, Perfect, Because that is a phrase that's used many times. Jesus tells us to be perfect as the Father is perfect. Another another Nazarene theological seminary professor who I do think has this right, Tom Noble, the, the most recent theologian, in one of his important books, he says we might be better off if we talk about Christian perfecting rather than Christian perfection, meaning that, that we are being perfected by God, that this is something God does and not us. We don't do it, God does it. And that we are in the, in the process of being made holy, being made perfect by God. So I'll come back to this a little bit, but basically the idea is, if we boast of our perfection, we're likely not. Uh, the one of the ways Wesley describes this is that the person who, who, who you might talk about in terms of perfection and holiness is the person who's daily on her knees in prayer saying, I, I, am, I, am, I need you, God. I am, I'm a sinner through and through. I struggle. I make mistakes. That, the person of that humility, of that confession, that that's the sign of somebody who is being made perfect and holy Because they recognize that they're anything but, but God is. So perfection holiness is not something we do, but something God does. That's a common refrain in in these letters that I think is important. So then he goes on, uh, as we transition to chapter 2. And here, uh, my, my little children, I'm writing you to these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, know that you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And that He is an atoning sacrifice for our sins, pleading with the Father, not only for us, but for all who who basically would allow Him to do so. We have a perfect advocate, a lawyer language, standing before the judge, in our place, arguing our case, defending us. And then He says, "So, so what evidence will we see of this? That like this is happening in our life, that, that we are being made righteous, that, that this is having any effect, that we are in the light, right? What, what evidence will we see of this? Well, he says if we walk in the light, we will obey his commandments. We will live as he told us. Otherwise, he uses this, he says this a lot, otherwise we're liars. So we'll either try to walk and follow him, we'll try to imitate Christ. Great old book, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. It's a great spiritual classic. I couldn't recommend more. It's a great holiness text. To imitate Christ. Uh, In verse 6 of chapter 2, he says this Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. And he ends in this way. And And it's kind of confusing. He says, This isn't new, it just seems new. Because it's only comprehensible or or understandable in Jesus. Light has dawned. It's fast approaching. Darkness. The darkness that we knew before cannot remain because that's just how light and dark work. The darkness can't remain where light is. And now we have to either choose to walk in the light or to retreat into the darkness. If you're honest, he's suggesting the light, the darkness, the old ways, whatever, often feels a bit more comfortable, more familiar. But he says it's actually blinding us. In John's imagery, the darkness blinds us, not the light. Like you get so used to seeing in the dark that you can't handle the light. It's good imagery you see in C.S. Lewis as well. Uh, the darkness blinds us, not the light. And if you stay in the darkness too long, you won't be able to see, he suggests. So what will it be? Will we live in the light? And if we live in the light, will we walk according to the light? Will we live according to the light? Will we, will we live good and virtuous, Christ-like lives? Or we will retreat into the darkness? So, now you can put those takeaways up. So, three simple points to this section. Darkness and light are not able to coexist. It's just fact. Where there's light, there can be no darkness. Darkness never wins a battle against light. The second, for John, claiming perfection does not equal perfection. That's a big thing in our tradition, but it always worries me when people say something like, I'm, you know, I've never sinned in 27 years, or I was made sinless and pure in 1956. That's between you and your maker. But that's not exactly the way it's talked about here. Instead, John suggests that confessing our sins, or our struggles, or our omissions, or our, our, our failures... That this opens us up. It creates an open posture in us that the perfect God fills with perfect holy love. So we become ever more holy and good and perfect. And number three. Uh, if we dwell in the light, then we will walk in the light, right? We will act in the light. We'll, we'll be Christ-like. People will wonder, why, why does he forgive people? Why is she so nice when she doesn't need to be? Or that kind of thing, Right? Our actions just look sort of different. They stand out. They stand out because it's like being a candle in darkness. Okay. In conclusion, I want to stress to you, especially those who have been in the Church of the Nazarene for some time, that um, we are in a denomination or a tradition that has made much of this language, this holiness, perfection. We, We believe... Uh, that these are are not idle words or or impossibilities that we're just to strive for but we'll never achieve. We've often fallen into the trap of thinking that holiness or perfection is is something that I do or we do or something that we earn or achieve. Even, uh, and especially, it's often like through what we don't do. Right? Like we boast about all the things we don't do and that's making us holy or perfect or whatever. But in fact, the holiness or perfection, it's about dwelling in the purifying light and life of our Lord Christ. We cannot be in the light without confession. Confession is key to discipleship. If we're in the light, we confess our sins and our failures. John tells us that God cleanses us of all sin and then we are made perfect. It's subtle, but what he's saying I think is clear. We become light and life. As we dwell in his light, in his life. We become perfect as we dwell in his perfection. We become holy as we we rest in and lean into his holiness. Light rids us of darkness. This is what perfection and holiness are all about. This is what John's writing about. And I think it's just as important for us today. So what will it be? church that's what he's saying and so it's a question for you what will it be light and life have come and they are still coming or do we want to retreat to the familiar darkness maybe the maybe the old ways of legalism or maybe the old ways of sin and and struggle or addiction or no faith or other faith or whatever the darkness is for you do we want to retreat to that or do we want to live and walk in the light. The answer, the the choice, I should say, is simple. Uh, We had the children's sermon earlier and I wanted to just move the prayer time to the end. So as we close, uh, we're going to take a a moment in prayer and just a reminder, anytime we pray, really anytime, uh, you could come to the altars if you like. It's something that's been a, a valuable, important thing in our tradition for a long time. You can also just stay in your seats. But as we turn to pray... John has proposed a question to us. Will we live in the light or will we retreat into the darkness? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, good and glorious light, creator of all things, you are radiant and resplendent in your glory and your holiness. And in all of your awesomeness, you created us, knowing that we would struggle, that we would sin, that we would choose darkness over you time and time again, and yet you have created us. You have come as the sun to offer redemption to us. You've gone all the way into darkness as possible in order to grab us and pull us out and make light possible for us. And I pray that we would see that and know that we can be different, that life can be better, that salvation is possible, that we can be in the light. And as we live in the light, Lord, John tells us, so many places in Scripture tell us, as we live in the light, we become light. Our darkness is purified. Our sins are forgiven. We become light. We become holy we become even even perfected in you and i pray that for us i pray that whether we're whether we're 6 or 60 whether we're 7 or 95 there's always more there's always more holiness and love and life for us it's a never ending pursuit of your goodness there's always more that we can lean in when life brings us struggles and sorrows, and temptation, and all of that. We're constantly confronted with this question, are we going to lean into our Savior? Are we going to cling to the light? Or are we going to retreat into darkness, into old ways, into despair, into sin, into whatever? I pray that wherever we're at in life, Lord, that, that we would lean into You. And that as we lean into You, our arms are so wrapped onto You that they let go of all of the burdens that we had. All the temptations that we have, all of our failures, our struggles, even our sins, and that we become consumed by you, transformed, so that we become little beacons of light in our world, which, Lord, as we will learn next week, desperately needs it. Transform us, purify us, make us holy, make us holier, make us your lights, give us your life. Lord, I also just pray, especially today, as I know there are so many who um, I think need physical healing, so many dealing with health issues. Um, I I pray, Lord, that you would be our great physician, that your spirit would be in our midst, that it would work in amazing ways to bring health and healing, that it would also, that you would work through doctors and nurses and medicine, that you would bring health and healing just rest and recovery to those who need it, as I know there are many today. We love you, Lord. We are grateful that you have invited us into your very own life, that you have shared your light with us. You've told us that we're actually made for that. We're made to be able to dwell in your perfect light, and that as we do so, that we become light ourselves. May it be so. We praise you this day. In your name we pray, Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.